Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Brad Shuck is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership, Evaluation, and Organizational Development at the University of Louisville. He is also the program director of the Center for Human Resources and Organizational Development, Brad has been researching employee engagement for many years and is a featured speaker at conferences on employee engagement around the world. Interestingly enough, his work in human resources also includes a couple years of working for a cruise line. We also know him as the star of episode 91 of Behavioral Grooves. It's a pleasure to have you back, Brad. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks so, so much. Yeah, we're we're ex- we're excited. Uh, maybe we should start by just talking a little bit about the kind of research that you, that you do. Tell us a little bit about what employee engagement means from a research perspective. Yeah, so well, we've been studying employee engagement for about a decade now, uh, and really kind of beginning to capture the entire employee experience. What does it mean to be at work? What does it mean to do my work? What does it mean to be with colleagues at work? Um, and how is all of that wrapped up into how I think about, feel about, and then intend to do my my work, um, connected to all kinds of outcomes and drivers and culture and all that kind of good stuff. Great. So given this time of coronavirus and work from home and, you know, social isolation, which we like to call physical separation, uh, what would you what would you recommend for people to be taking in consideration about engagement and about what they should be doing? Yeah. So, you know, I. We, we've thought about what does this mean for engagement? And I think there's some new things that are be- emerging as a result of this. One of them is just being distracted. So I, I may not be disengaged. I may just be really distracted. Um, I, I can speak for myself. We've recently transitioned to uh, the Shuck School for Reading the arts and fort building here. <laughs> we have an, we have an enrollment of one. Uh, I tell folks I'm the assistant principal. My wife is the principal. Thank uh, goodness so for that. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. Uh, we haven't had any real discipline issues that we that we have had to report to the principal's office yet, which is great. Uh, and school lunches look about the same. But you know, I, I remember if I'm speaking really honestly, and, and my wife is listening, she can hear what I'm saying. So that she, there's going to be a nice barometer check of like truth here. The the first day that we stayed home, I was like, this is amazing. I'm with my family. This is great. I'm going to be able to get all the things that I normally get done, done every day at the same level of productivity. And also we're going to homeschool and I'm going to be having lunch with my loving wife. Man, I, I'm going to, I'm here to tell you, like, it didn't happen like that. Um, I was, I was, <laughs> oh, and it, it wasn't for me, it was a step back in this isn't a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. This is a new thing for me. And I've got to adjust to this. And I'm pretty type A. Um, I am a planner and I like things to go in a certain way. And it took me a little while to release that. And I suspect mm. that when we, I, I hear, I've heard from so many leaders uh, across the country in the last couple of weeks that are, that have said things like, well, um, this is just is just kind of business as usual. And I want to be really clear like this. There's nothing about business as usual here. If this was business as usual. We would then be going back to an old normal. But I don't think that's going to exist for us. I think we're going to have a new normal that exists in the future. That is a result of the adjustments that we're doing here now. 
the different kinds of things that we're beginning to juggle and the incredible opportunity that we have to be laser focused, incredibly clear, um, and able to choose in some ways what we focus in our times on and how we do that throughout our day. So let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think employees should be doing right now? Let's think from the employee perspective, what should employees be doing to stay engaged? I, th- I think one of the first things that they should do is to is to think about their routine. One of the first things that got lost in the very first day was the routine of here's what I do on an everyday basis. <clears throat> I may get up and launch my house and people go to school and we go in different directions and I get to work and I check my email and I've got my coffee and my friends and that stuff on day one, for me at least, it just did not exist. There was a new normal and a new sense set of rituals that I needed to be focusing in on. And again, personal transparency here, that required some adjustment on my end. So the first thing I think we need to do is we need to think about, all right, what are, what are my new routines? Uh, How do I define that time within my day? I think it's important to place boundaries on your day. Um, It's, it can be very tempting to work 14 hour days. Uh, And, and I've done that where my wife will say, gosh, you know, you've been working since seven and it's nine. Are you done yet? And, um, and so I think it's, it's healthy for us to put some boundaries around, all right, here's, here's my working time. This is what I think I'm going to do. And, and rather than put, thinking about this in terms of a time frame, I try to think about this in terms of what are the priority projects that I need to move off my to-do list today? Here are the three things that I have got to get done. And everything on top of that is gravy. The other thing I like to recommend is that we check in with our teams and we check in with our supervisor. So I check in with the chair of my department on a frequent basis. The reason I do that is I don't want her to have to think about what's Brad doing. So I I may not do it every day, but I may do it every other day or uh, for sure on Fridays. I just send her a quick list. Hey, here are the things I got moving today. What's on the to-do list for next week? How can we do that? I think it can be really tempting to to increase the volume of our communication. And I think that's a mistake. I don't think anybody's looking for more emails, more Microsoft Teams meetings or Slack meetings or any of that stuff. I don't think folks are looking for more stuff to do. I think rather what we have to do is retool this to be um, purposeful and intentional communication. And that requires some planning on our end. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up connecting with your supervisor because we hear we've, we've talked with a lot of people and they've talked about making sure you check in with your team and your co-workers but people have left out the fact of you know sometimes you actually have to be the one to be proactive about checking in with your supervisor because they have so much on their plate already just sure. taking that off of their plate is one thing that you can do that is, again, proactive and helping out everybody in that situation. We, we seem to be at a, at a place where um, capacity is a huge issue, where um, we, are, we need uh, strategies and tools and tips that help us build back capacity into somebody's day versus take away capacity. And so one of the ways that I, I like to do that is – to, to just, again, check in with my supervisor or um, if there's a project that someone that I have a strength on that I can take off somebody else's plate, that builds capacity back into their day. The more that we can think about how we're building back capacity, and t- that means time, energy, resources, we become a really essential part of the organization, particularly as we transition to this remote work piece. So it sounds like you're saying uh – the each employee needs to be a little more um, innovative, a little more entrepreneurial. Need to be thinking about bigger picture. It, like you talk about, sort of balancing a workload requires a little more thought than what we might normally have, right? Yeah, I, and I think that was a surprising thing for me to learn in my own life uh, around. All right. W- I need to be more intentional about the planning of my actual day. Whereas there were some things that worked on autopilot for me when I would get Mm -hmm. into the office. There were, there were some things that I didn't necessarily have to think about because they were habits for me or they were, they were, um, they were heuristics that I just used because my environment was very familiar. 
one of the th- one of the mistakes we can make is to assume that well we're home uh, this is a familiar environment for me but working from home or doing business from home is an in- unfamiliar environment for me so the surprise for me was that this is going to take a different way of thinking about my work week and my work day and my projects and then how i was communicating and making sure that my communication was um recognizing that there were other people on the other end of that communication, right? So I was I was talking with someone as if they were in my office. They couldn't mm-hmm. see my body language. So I had to find ways to communicate that. An interesting way that we've done that in some places is the use of emojis has, mm-hmm. has helped us kind of share some emotions. Now, obviously these things have to be appropriate, things like that, but you know, a quick smiley <laughs> face. I don't want to give anybody any like crazy ideas, uh, but a quick smiley face at the end of an email or at an end of a sentence can, can really kind of share back some emotions. And man, that sounds so easy and so pedestrian and so dumb, but I'm telling you, sometimes that tone gets lost in that email and it's important to say things like, good morning, how are you? How's your family? What's going on? And then get into the business of the day or whatever I need to talk about and then wrap that up. Yeah, that's not the emoji. I don't use a smiley one with Tim. It's a whole different one. We won't go there. It's a family-friendly one. We, I'm sorry, we can't talk about that on. on <laughs> Brad, what about managers? What 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 do you think managers should be doing right now to help their employees stay engaged? Yeah, the the, the first thing that I would encourage them to do is 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 to, to hit the pause button. There's, there's, there's been a lot, and I would encourage employees to do this too. So this goes both ways. I think hitting the pause button and extending a little bit of grace, I've had a very difficult time carving out 20 minutes to say, okay, I just need to prep for this. I just need to plan for this. And so I, I feel like managers really need to work that into their day. Uh, whether that's the beginning of the day or the end of the day in preparation for the next day so that they're ready. I think carving out that space where they can think about, okay, what are the what are the three things I need to get done today? What are the what what's moving to next to the next day? What's priority for another person? Is going to be is it, it that's an important skill. And I think we we've taken that for granted uh, in a face-to-face environment where it becomes very very important in a remote work environment. One of the things that I would encourage leaders to do is, um, and I've talked to a couple of people who've tried to lead with a plan. All right, we're in a, we're in a different situation. Things are are obviously shifting and changing. Here's the plan, and I, I think that's I think that's a mistake. Um, I think people are a little concerned. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, there are, there are new things. And, and as we retool, that creates a sense of, uh, stress. And I think it's important to lead with people first and then inspire toward the plan rather than lead with the plan and hope the people follow. So I, I think this is easy to do. Also, I'm not suggesting that we have a long drawn out speech about all the things that are going on, but rather, Hey, this is different. Uh, things have changed. How's everybody doing? Uh, we're all a little bit stressed right now. Let's talk about some next steps. And just marrying those two things up together can go a long way. Uh, and I think your employees hearing the message that you want them and intend for them to hear. Yeah. And given the situation and the fluidity of everything that is going on, I'd be concerned about leading with a really detailed plan because yeah. it may be out of date tomorrow and you then are changing your plan and you're adding again more stress into this situation which is already very stressful totally it, it can be it can be tempting to micromanage um because there's a loss of control and i think a default sometimes is well i'm just going to put my finger in every pie i possibly can and that's probably not a really strong strategy it's going to be exhausting for the leader it's going to be exhausting for the employees and the teams but it also doesn't build back capacity it actually takes capacity and if we are if we're trying to find ways to build back capacity Again, energy, resources, time into people's day. Micromanaging, as tempting as that can feel in the moment, is probably not a long, long-term strategy. And I do think leaders need to be thinking long-term and executing in the short term. I think that's a great way of putting it. And the idea of micromanaging for somebody who has been accustomed to just being able to walk past people and see them working. And now they're 
at a distance and they don't know what's going on. I feel that there's this sense of, I need to keep in touch. I need to make sure that they're doing things. And to a certain point, they just have to let go a little bit and they have to trust that their employees are going to be doing the right thing, which I think some for some people, if that's not a common way of thinking, may be really difficult. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, in a couple of months ago, we had an article that got published on compassion, and we introduced this model of compassionate leadership. One of the one of the six behaviors of compassion that we talk about in that model is the idea of accountability. Mm. And and so here in in this particular instance, it is uh, it's maybe trust but verify. So I'm gonna, I'm going to trust that that Brad's going to get his work done. I I, I believe that the leaders that I report to and, and that I get a chance to work with, they trust that Brad Chuck's going to get his work done. But they they also, I also know that I'm, I'm accountable to them and not only accountable to my leaders, but I'm accountable to my peers because the work that I get done is directly impacting the work that other people can get done. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so aware these days of building back in resources and time for other people rather than taking that time from other people, because it's such a, um, it's such an important thing for us to be thinking about in a remote environment, but accountability is definitely in that model. And I think that's a really important point. Can you give us an example of what you're thinking about when you talk about capacity? This is a really cool image, by the way. Yeah. So, can you yeah. yeah, kind of walk through an example of that if you could, uh, maybe from a manager's perspective or an employee's perspective? Sure. So one of the ways uh, that we like to think about capacity, I'm, I'm, I'm going to draw an analogy and then uh, I'm, I'm going to give a practical example, if that's okay. Perfect. The analogy, yeah, the analogy that I like to use um, with capacity is uh, the, the image of a chainsaw. So a couple of um, a couple of birthdays ago, my wife got me a chainsaw for my birthday. Now, uh, this Lucky is a guy. Chair. Yeah, this is <laughs> I, it right? fits uh, you, Brad. It fits you. Yeah. I do look a little lumberjack today like I would be out in the woods and I feel really really good about that so guys I you, you both know me like I have zero business with a chainsaw really like I had never really <laughs> held a chainsaw I didn't know how to work a chainsaw I didn't know what was going on with the chainsaw and uh and so I took the took the chainsaw outside and uh, I start to rev it up and rev it up and I get it going I'm, I'm rocking and rolling so the chainsaw starts to smoke and uh which I took as a good sign that I was doing this correctly. So I pushed forward <laughs> the chainsaw, right? and come to find out um, that you have got to add oil in a chainsaw or, <laughs> or it breaks down, right? Yeah, yeah it melts. <laughs> it absolutely melts and it can be really devastating. Um, thankfully, uh, uh, my wife got the extended warranty plan and all that kind of good stuff for me, which was great. <laughs> Here's here's the thing about capacity. It it came with a book. It came with the oil that I needed to use. The issue that I had was I didn't have, I thought, the time to be able to read that book or to be able to use that oil in the correct way. Organizational systems work in a very similar manner. Human systems work in a very similar manner. We know that machines, if we don't take care of them, they will eventually break down over time. Building back in capacity is on an employee level, making sure that the emails that we're sending are emails that need to really be sent. Um, that sometimes picking up a phone call is adding capacity because I don't have to go back and forth in 15 different email chains uh, to get to, to a really clear point. Sometimes adding capacity back in the day is trusting that that work is going to get done uh, and not micromanaging that work, not, not overseeing that work. Um, sometimes uh, building capacity back in the day, uh, to Kurt's point here, is um, is not making a solidified 90-day plan. Because to be frank with you, I don't know what work's going to look like in 90 days. Instead, building back that capacity, sometimes that capacity is emotional. Uh, we know that we're emotional beings, that a great majority of the decision-making we make on a daily basis is based purely on our the way we feel about something. And so if I feel like I'm disconnected or I feel like I'm isolated or I feel like someone doesn't trust me, um, that can deplete my capacity, not only emotionally, but also that has a physical toll as well. And so I think it's really, really important that we, again, we lead with people and inspire toward a plan versus give the plan and hope people follow it or better yet, make them follow it. 
um, that's going to be a very, very frustrating experience. And what we find in the in the human world is that when people become at a place of overcapacity, what we see overtly is frustration. And it comes out in a variety of different forms. Um, and we begin to triage things. So an, an, an image we might use is somebody's email inbox that's got 15,000 emails in it. Um, gosh, over over time, like that's just an overwhelming amount of things to go through. And so I begin to triage this and I start to get frustrated as that number grows. And the same thing happens in our face-to-face and our human interactions, whether those things are happening on a video conference, on a phone call, in emails, or uh, or through instant messaging that is constantly, constantly going off. Yeah. This idea of emotional fatigue has come up with us a time or two now. And so, Obviously, part of that emotional fatigue is just because of the uncertainty of everything that's going on and the stress around that. But I hear you saying that there's also this part of capacity that if we get, if we're overburdened with all of these other things added on to the uncertainty, the newness and the changing of routines that we have, the kids in the background as you're trying to work, whatever else it is, but that all lends itself into this, you know, emotional fatigue would you would you agree with that is that a a good statement based upon what you were just trying to say did i encapsulate that enough yeah i i couldn't agree more with you about that um and the disruption in our routines on a daily basis has added to that pre-covid 19 i would have told you that i think capacity is an epidemic in in the world of work today wow Um, post covid-19 i think it's an ex- it's an extreme extreme issue that we've got to face because not only has my work changed not only do i have maybe more things going on but i've got more things coming at me um i've got uh to think about all right what time am i going to be getting up how am i going to get what's going to be happening with breakfast how are we going to get homeschool done what happens if homeschool doesn't go very well what time should i eat breakfast i'm going to be working out with my wife now what time do we what time do i schedule that my gosh i have this research paper i've got to get done um what time should i end work because i've got to make dinner and i've got to do these things and so all of these things are converging on us we've we've got to think through that and that's why i recommend if, if possible, to take 15, 20 minutes <laughs> to just say, okay, let me put a loose plan together for the day and get my, my rituals down. Because he, rituals, rituals in our daily life build back capacity for us because they allow our brain to go on autopilot a little bit. Ah, and, yeah. and, when we, and, we, and when we can go on autopilot for those little things, then that makes room for some of the bigger things. Uh, I wrote a blog post recently about what to do for leaders in healthcare. And the recommendation that I made, and this has got to sound really pedestrian, is um, make sure there's coffee and tea in the break room. And if you can, <laughs> if you can spare some lunch, get some lunch, get some snacks, put a, a dedicated room in the facility someplace where that's a quiet space so that when people need five minute breather in between treating chronically ill patients when they are making unbelievable life altering decisions in the moment they need five minutes they can go do that and here's why i recommend that because if there's coffee in the break room and tea in the break room and there's snacks in the snack room and there's a place i can go then as a nurse on the front line or as a custodial worker on the front line that's going in and sanitizing those rooms i don't have to think about that i can then pour my energy back into the to the bigger things at hand the big issues that i need to worry about yeah so that willpower that they have in order to keep going and to keep focused on those things isn't being depleted by those little things that you're doing day in and day out and as a leader i can do those things i can help build capacity back and to be honest with you i don't need to be a positional leader like i don't need to have leader in my title to do these things i i just need to be able to step into the gap. And so if we have folks that are listening that aren't in a, a traditional leadership role, the the role here is about stepping into the gap. Where do, where do I see the need? How do I help? What can I do to build back capacity? It reminds me a little bit of the overwhelming number of new decisions, new choices, new new outcomes that we need to figure out and things that we need to deal with right now. And uh, I read when President Obama was in the White House, 
to limit the number of decisions he made, he had uh, four suits and four shirts and four ties or something. I'm, I'm probably getting the numbers wrong, but it was any any suit could go with any shirt could go with any tie. To just for the sake of simplicity. So there was really no decision to be made. He didn't have to figure anything out. And the belief was that even by reducing his schedule by just those decisions, just those tiny little decisions, he had just a little bit more capacity. Yeah. So it, it might be in a traditional behavioral economics way to think about this is we're kind of choice architecting some things. Mm-hmm. But we're- we're setting the choice architect up as almost like a like a pre-architect. So we're <laughs> setting up space for the decisions to be made later. Um, the the idea of choice here, I think, is is really important when we think about cognitive overload and we build in emotional fatigue, uh, and these things become cascading. And uh, Tim, you remind me one of the one of the things that we talk about particularly around employee engagement is that it isn't something that happens like a light switch. Um, it isn't a, it isn't a big transformation. It isn't a, a, a big thing that happens in the company culture that all of a sudden we're all just now engaged. E- engagement happens in these, in these everyday pedestrian moments between human beings and the ways in which we work together and talk to each other. And those cumulative moments build towards what we know as engagement and the things that you're talking about, the the small decisions that we can make on an everyday basis and the way that maybe I'm talking with my team or I'm working with my leader or I'm working with my colleagues, uh, being able to have the, t- the, the little things in the break room, man, those things right now, they're making a huge, huge difference, a huge difference for people. So I want to go on to this part you talk about healthcare workers and they're they're part of that essential workers out there but there are other essential workers who are are not home and working from home but they are going out to the grocery store and they're the clerks and and stocking shelves they're the people that are you know transporting our goods and and the delivery people that we see what do we what should they be doing in this time in order to make sure that they're maintaining that engagement and not being over capacity as well, because I see a lot of that happening again with some of the fear of, Hey, we are out there potentially putting ourselves in danger and that adds to that level of stress. So what can they do and what can organizations do to help them? The the first thing I'd like to say is um, if, if any of your listeners are, some of those essential workers uh, the, at the grocery store, uh, long haul truckers, uh, supply chain, custodial workers, healthcare. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I, 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 for, I mean, for crying out loud, um, I remember going to the store a couple of weeks ago and literally there was nothing on the shelves. There was no meat. There was no bread. There was no milk. There was no eggs. There was no pasta, no rice. And I took pictures of it. And it was because I wanted to remember like, I've never seen this like this. I've, I've never seen this level of panic. So I, I want those people to hear how much they're appreciated, how, how much we say essential. I think essential may be a word, maybe times word of the year. Um, uh, yeah, true. I, I hope those people know how essential they are. Um, from a leadership perspective, from an organizational perspective, I think, um, Here's a group of people who have been absolutely thrust into the spotlight. I mean, as a as a someone who goes in and sanitizes rooms or who who wipes down grocery carts at a local grocery store, who who would have six months ago said these people are essential workers, but by God they are. Um, and so here's a group of people who have been immediately thrust into the spotlight into the center of of how our world is continuing to operate. Here's what I think they could do. I think they could make sure that those people get treated with a, a great deal of dignity. And I think that would be a really great place to start. That's acknowledging the work that they're doing, making sure that they feel very connected to the organization, that leaders are using storytelling as a way to inspire back to the mission and vision and goals of the organization. And to the, to the companies and to the leaders, there's no question in my mind that when we emerge from we emerge from COVID-19 in a couple of months, and, and we will. We'll recover from this. Our legacy as an organization will be defined in the way that we treat our people today. We will, we will live in that legacy and through that legacy for years and years and years to come. So I would go to every, every length I could to make sure 
that the people who are continuing to go into the office and, uh, and to your point, um, Tim, to quite literally put themselves in harm's way, um, that they feel like they are in, they are essential. That's, this isn't just a word, but this is a value that we're living and that those people have a sense of dignity about their work. I like that you tee up the future, Brad, because that's that's been on my mind thinking about how are these experiences or in what ways are these experiences experiences changing the way we work? And what do you think work might be like after we get through this? I tell you, it's going to be very difficult for me now that we've adjusted to not have lunch with my wife and my daughter. Uh, <laughs> and so I hope I get to continue to do that and to work on puzzles with my nine-year-old uh, and to build forts because I've really come to enjoy the time that I've spent with my family. But I, I do think work is going to look very different. I think the way that we define performance may look very different versus I, I had a supervisor once early on in my career that would walk by our cubicle um, that was gray. Uh, and so you can imagine it was a very colorful place. Uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, uh, this leader would tap their watch at us if we were late or we were a couple of minutes past our lunchtime and they would come by the break room and tap their watch on say, wrap it up guys, wrap it up, get back to work. And I think that kind of mentality is going to change. Um, I also think the way in which we view some professions is going to profoundly change the um the the people who have been very critical uh of educators for example who are now educating their kids at home are uh may look at we may look at the teaching profession a, a little bit differently as a result of it we may look at some of the um supply chain folks who we have often sometimes positioned as maybe uh, low skill low wage as incredibly essential to the world that we live in. And so I think we're not only going to think about people a little bit differently and build our capacity for compassion in that way, but my hope is that we fundamentally change the ways in which we interact with people, that we become a little kinder, that we become a little bit more aware of our social surroundings, that we're more connected to our communities. And as a result of that, we live better lives through our work. Yeah. I've, I take a walk every day with my wife. We take, we have a three mile loop that we take. And um, I tell you, I've never seen more people out. Now we stay socially distant. Um, we wave from across the road. How are you? What's going on? But um, I've never seen this many people. And we've checked on our neighbors, people who we've not seen in months to just make sure they're doing okay. Hey, everything all right? Things go. I hope that stuff continues. I hope we don't forget this. Yeah, we were out with my daughter the other day. We counted 80 dogs, you know, and, oh, and, and, wow. and my daughter has been, you know, striving for a dog and we were planning on getting one when this whole shutdown thing came. But um, so it, we, we don't normally see 80 dogs out on, on a bike ride. Um, sure. We see a lot, but not 80. But I think people are, again, feeling that aspect of getting out even if it is the wave across from the street getting out and and being outside in nature is part of this but it's also seeing that there are other people out there even if you don't say anything if you're physically distant from them but just seeing that and having that sense that yes we're not alone in this that we are not isolated um i think that's really important now before we got on uh started recording you, you talked about some research about connectedness and isolation that you were bringing up and so maybe this is a good time to tee that up you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, I'd love to. So this is this is some brand new research that we have on a research team, really terrific research team uh, and collaborative effort that we've got going on at the University of Louisville between the School of Medicine, our School of Public Health and our Department of Communications, along with our HR, our Human Resource Org Development Department. And we have essentially been wondering, all right, what are experiences of work that really drive some health outcomes? So we initially were curious about the possibility that work may predispose or have be a risk factor for people when it comes to things like diabetes or heart disease or addiction or sleep disorders and things like that. And uh, along some of the same lines around compassion, we have this, I think we talked about it the last time I was on around stinky leaders and what happens yep. people are with these stinky leaders and so essentially what stinky leaders do is they isolate people from their work and so we we wondered is there a relationship between connectedness and collaboration and isolation and what really what really drives that 
And, and we wanted to understand, all right, when I have a really solid community at work, does that impact things for, for us? And so when we say community at work, we're saying things like, I feel supported at work. I feel like I belong. Um, I feel like I'm included. I feel like people appreciate me. And when we feel isolated, we're really talking about things like, I feel alone. I feel left out of social activities. I feel invisible. And sometimes I feel lonely. Here's mm. the Here's the interesting thing about this. What we find is that feeling isolated is really terrible. And I don't think that's a surprise for anybody, but feeling like you're a part of a community is a two to one benefit than the negative, a two to one benefit. Things like I feel supported, I feel connected, I feel included. There's a two to one benefit towards performance. Wow, that's terrific. We, I, am, I was absolutely amazed by it when I ran the numbers. And so we ran this through, um, okay, if that's true, what actually is driving that? So what is driving someone saying, I feel lonely or I feel um, like I belong? And we, there are three questions that we could isolate. We have a pretty short measure of culture that we've developed. And the three questions that really drive this were this. Number one, I feel supported by my coworkers. Number two, I feel supported by my supervisor. Number three, my work, the work I do here is meaningful. Those are the currency of engagement. Those are the currency of engagement. So to the degree that somebody feels like they're supported or the degree that they feel like their work is meaningful and connected to something, they, they either feel isolated or they feel connected. And that, that decision alone drives about 40% of the variance in the model for engagement. It's why people engage. Wow. We were stunned by the findings. So it's interesting, though, because you, you apply that now to what's going on in current situation. And just to the point that we talked about just, you know, a couple minutes ago about the essential workers. And I can see already if you look at like, I feel my work is meaningful and connected. You could, as an organization, really hone in on that in order to, to not only make them, you know, feel good at this moment, but have long-term productivity and health impacts on, on this whole piece. That's, so there's a silver lining, uh, there is. you know, to, to this, to a certain degree. I think the, as much as this has presented us with some unprecedented challenges, and there's no question that it has, I think the opportunity here is also unprecedented. And it has the potential to be fundamentally transformative in the ways in which we understand and do our work. It is, um, it's requiring a new set of leadership skills. It's requiring us to think differently about organizational structures that, that six months ago we would have per perhaps never even questioned because they were so sacred in the moment that we would not dare bring them up in a meeting. And now those things are busted, man. And we have permission to think about these things from a different perspective and to begin to ask those questions in ways that allow us to redefine our work so that we live better lives through our work, not by our work. We're, we're, we're very, um, we're very optimistic about the idea of connectedness. And again, that two to one benefit for me is, uh, is an incredible finding. That's just so fabulous. I, I don't even want to ask any more questions because like that was such a great, it's like, I just feel like that was like the, the beautiful sermon at the end here that I just want to end up. But on the other hand, Kurt, do, Kurt, do you have anything? That I actually like to? do have more questions. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm I was just, just like I, so enjoying that moment though, man. It was, it, was, it great. was, it was great. And I do feel like there's some really good insights from that and that you talk about this moment being transformative, fundamentally transformative, which I, I, I do believe. And yes, we are going through challenges. There are people who, you know, are sick and dying and others who are just, you know, without a job, they've lost their job, they're, they're stressed, but, you know, we will get through this at some point and, and hopefully we can take some of the better lessons from this as we move forward and, and leave behind some of maybe the, the not so good things that we had just taken for granted in the past. And if we can do that, I think that's good. But I, I just want to get just from a overall, you know, behavioral social scientist that, that you are, what are the big insights that you've taken or you've seen 
as this pand this pandemic has played out, what what have you looked at from either big societal pieces or even individual things that you go that was pretty surprising. I wasn't anticipating, you know, if I would have tried to anticipate what this would have been like, I wouldn't have anticipated that. Anything that you can think of? Yeah, I think the there are a couple of things. Uh, the first one is this idea, and we spoke about it uh, very at the very beginning of our episode today uh, around distractedness. So it, I had never thought about that before. Um, I may not be disengaged. I may just be really distracted because I can't make sense of the world going on around me. Um, I, I think we're going to hear some. To, to be honest with you, some disasterful numbers around engagement and productivity and performance in the in this quarter, and I'm not so sure I would believe a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's probably very interesting. Um, it's it, it it may be it may be connected to um, some different motives. I, I think people have remained pretty engaged. I think I, I think people, for the most part, have tried their absolute very best to do the the very best work that they can, given the circumstances that they've got. And I think people are managing a ton, um, and so the idea of distractedness versus disengagement may be a way in which I would think about that. Mm -hmm. It isn't that my employees are disengaged, but boy, maybe grace here in terms of their ability to be distracted could go a long way, and them understanding what's going on with me at work. The second thing is this idea of capacity. Um, I've never thought about this from kind of an extreme perspective before. And for me, I'm glad we got to talk about that today. Um, it's something that keeps me up at night. Um, I, I really, I really worry about it. And I use myself as an instrument sometimes um, and thinking about all of the things that I've got going on and then extrapolating that out into the larger society. And to be, uh, to be honest, we have it. Okay. We, I haven't lost my job yet. Um, I have a roof over my house. I'm thankful that I'm with my family and that our grocery stores did have food and that we were able to get some of that. But I also know that there are people who don't have that. I've got some friends whose businesses have shuttered. They will not reopen. They will likely uh, take bankruptcy. Um, it is going to be very difficult for them. I cannot imagine the issues of capacity or the or the issues of isolation that are going to play itself out and how that's experienced across not only my community, but in little communities across the entire globe. The interesting thing about this is there is not one continent, not one country, not one industry not one profession and not one community that has not been impacted by this, who has not somehow, shape or form, been shifted, that their world has been shifted as a result of this pandemic. And so capacity is something I think we need to think about. The, the third thing is I think we're redefining the way um, that we're asking people to lead. And um, in the in a different skill set, we we haven't always taught compassion. We haven't always taught kindness. We haven't always taught space. Um, we haven't always asked the question: uh, Is it worth? Is this is this worth our time and energy now? Given the circumstances, is what's the most important? What are the three things we need to be doing? Um, versus saying that looks shiny, let's go chase that. And I think we're we're at a place where we are. We are redefining some of that stuff and, and, and redefining that space. To be honest with you, I'm optimistic about that. I think we're going to emerge from this a different, globally connected, more compassionate society. Uh, and I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, and because that's the world that I not only want to live in, but I want my daughter to live in. She's she's been impacted by this. And if you have if you're listening and you have kids, my daughter is nine, and I would have never expected that she would know what the coronavirus was, or that or that she would know what a lockdown was, or that we were going to be talking about the national guard um, being deployed uh, in places. Those are heavy things to talk about a, a child with. So I'm keenly aware that what she's watching me do, and and she gets angry with me uh, throughout the day because I'm doing emails and I'm on conference calls and things like that. And But you know what she's watching me do? She's watching me work. She's watching mm -hmm. my words. And, and she maybe for the first time gets to get a front row seat to not only uh, an organizational behavior class, but also an economics class and how that works and a behavioral economics class that is front and center of her life that she gets to watch her mom and dad live out on a daily basis. And I'm, in, I'm excited about that. Um, 
And I'm hopeful about that. And I think in all of this, and I hope, I hope you guys can agree with me on this. Uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about our community. I'm hopeful about the change that we might be able to, uh, to nudge for a lack of better word. Um, and that as a result of this, at the end of it, we're going to be a little bit better off. You are a zealous herald for the common worker. And I love that, Brad. I mean, for the, I was just thinking about your daughter turning nine and we met when, which before she was born (laughs) and to think that you, this is not a soapbox for you. This is your deep passion. And it's really rewarding for you to be able to share that with our listeners, because I think everybody could use a little dose of optimism right now. I am. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I really love people. Um, and I love meeting new people and I love working with people. I love, I love the opportunity to, to hear their stories. And, um, it's, it's my father, when I was growing up, my dad's listening to this and I hope he does. Um, he's currently quarantined in Indiana. He can't go anyplace. So he doesn't have anything else to do, but listen to (laughs) no excuse. No excuse excuse here, dad. Listen to the damn podcast. (laughs) That's right. Come on, come on, Kenny. Um, dad used to say, I'd be one of two things, either a politician or a pastor. And I think a faculty member is a nice middle road. <laughs> I'm good with it. Well, yes. Well, Brad, thank you so much. This has really been, as Tim said, it really is insightful, rewarding, and we just love your perspective on this. And and to that degree, I'm you you've brought some hope into me. I've I've been feeling pretty negative about this, but I'm I'm feeling a little bit brighter after this conversation and hopefully our listeners are too. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. Welcome to the special edition grooving session where Tim and I groove on some ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with Brad Shock. Ah, Brad. That was he was mm. great. I am yeah. um, always amazed at how articulate and calming his his aura is. I mm-hmm. don't want to get too, you know. <laughs> wooey here, but he does have a very uh, nice way of presenting information and the way that he presents it, uh, as he's, we talked at the end, it it lends a bit of hope in, in this whole thing. And so, I think that's a good thing. So, Kurt, what was the first thing that you wanted to talk about? What struck you most about our conversation with oh, Brad? I don't know if I can talk about what struck me most we talked about not business as usual as one of the first things that he brought up. And yes, that is so apparent. It's pretty, it, it's almost as if that was, why are you even saying that? Of course, it's not business as usual. <laughs> right. This is a worldwide pandemic of a sort that we have not encountered in our lifetimes. Right. But he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said that this isn't a good thing. A bad thing. It's just a new thing, and he was talking more about his response to it. Yes, but but I think that has a a piece to this, where when we look at this whole element, uh, yeah, there are some crazy hardships and people being sick and dying, and that is horrible, and that is that is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who have lost their jobs and are or being, you know, pay reductions, and that is bad. But there are also silver linings that we can hopefully take from this in moving forward once this is done. And those, I think, are probably good. And so it's new. It's all new, and we're still exploring and we're still figuring things out. Yeah, I thought that was just an interesting aspect of this. Well, the old model of leadership comes from this idea that the leaders have more experience, that they're tended to be older and wiser, and they brought something to, to the table because they had lived through the last financial crisis. They lived through economic downturns. They, they managed their way through those things and had all this experience. What we're going through right now takes all that off the table. It's the great leveler of of experience because we don't have we don't have any leaders who are, who have been around long enough to have been through anything like this, right? And so everyone is experiencing it for the first time and dealing with it uh, at the very best. And I wonder 
if there will be impacts on the way corporations view leadership in the future. I wonder if it's possible that there might be new insights that come from, hey, actually, we just saw this really young and relatively inexperienced person have really wise responses to some of these things. And we might we might want to take a, a new look at what leadership means. In this time, too, where things are so fluid and so changing day by day, even if you had gone through something that was slightly similar to this and trying to extrapolate the learnings that you had from that into this, you're going to mess up on that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think your your point of, so what entails leadership in a situation like this? It isn't that I have had experience in this. There may be some aspects of understanding how people respond in times of crisis. And so from a human management perspective, there could be some learnings there, I think. On the other hand, this is so novel, so new, so different than anything we've done. Maybe even some of those experience, the learnings that we had from those experiences aren't applicable to this situation. So that right. that I think is interesting. So what about you? Anything else that you found interesting from Brad's well, conversations? Well, as as you said, there's so much uh, we could talk about, but let's let's uh, switch over to things that we can do to help. And when Brad was talking about rituals and boundaries, that was a particular interest to me, in part because it's a theme that we've seen coming up, right? Intentionality, deliberateness, setting boundaries. Uh, several of our of our guests have already talked about that. So that those words themselves weren't so much new, but his take on it was different. And I and I thought that that was really cool that he was talking about again focusing on the things that I want to do as opposed to the amount of time that I'm going to work. Uh, and that was a, that was an important distinction. I love that aspect because it was different than what we've heard from others or even how I've thought about this. Yes, you can have boundaries. And typically we think of those start and stop times for work boundaries as time-based. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to be at my desk at eight. I will be done at five. And I liked his idea of saying, let's look at this differently. I have these three really important tasks to do. And when I get done with those tasks, that's my boundary. That's my saying, I have I have accomplished what I needed to get done today. And right. anything that additional to that is is filler and, and other pieces. There's always those things that you have to do during the day. But these three key pieces that we have to get done, that's the boundary. I thought that was really a unique take on this. And for some people, I think that is probably a much better way of setting a boundary for themselves as opposed to a time-based boundary. It could be a lot better if we are intentional enough to actually set those goals on a daily basis. As he talked about with capacity and this idea of taking a pause, which I thought was a really (laughs) wonderful way of thinking about this. And again, He's been doing this work on capacity since before this happened, and I loved his, his talk where, it, you know, prior to COVID-19, this was already an epidemic. And now with yeah, COVID-19, yeah. it's even gotten worse. When you think about the amount of time, resources, and energy that we have, which is what he talked about. Yeah, which are all limited. Which are all limited, and we're filling those up, and those just make it so that we have less ability to accomplish what we need to get accomplished when they get too full and over capacity. And, you know, his chainsaw piece of you need to put oil on in, in the in the chainsaw. Well, we need to have oil to our lives. And, and that comes, I think, with these pauses, as he talked about, particularly as he was talking about, take 15, 20 minutes in the morning and plan out your day. What do you need to get done? Figure out what those three optimal pieces are. Figure out what you want to achieve for the day. Take a moment of calm reflection and gratitude and start the day off with a good mental mind and a plan. Yeah. And the the capacity that you burn that in time and effort in setting up those 15 minutes to get those things laid out for the day could save you immensely as you go through the day. It could be a a tremendous way of kind of giving back to yourself, really. 
it's reading the manual on how to run <laughs> how a chainsaw. You, yeah, right, right. Or or the, the the carpenter's model of measure twice, cut once. Yeah. Uh, these are these are these are old measures of how it really helps to be more productive. And uh, we can benefit from just taking a little time to do that. We need to take time to do that these yeah. days. I, I will also want to double down on his don't lead with a detailed plan if you're a leader lead with the person first people first in this time of anxiety unknown everything that we're accustomed to is shifting in our work whether we're essential workers or working from home those pieces of leading with a person first is going to be so important because as I said, things change on a daily basis. You put a plan together and that plan is going to be you know, old news a, a week from now because yep. the world is going to change in that time. So you have to have a structure of what you need to get done. You need to be able to do that. But you also need to do it with this idea of saying, we need to make sure that our people are doing well first trust those people, again, getting back to the micromanagement piece that we talked about, and then move forward with saying, we have to do this, but we have to do it with a sense of dignity for our workers and grace for what they're going through, understanding, uh, probably a better word for that. Yes. That ties perfectly into his comment about how he said, our legacy will be defined by the way we treat our employees during this time. We're going to look back and say, how do we do with the people? Because as a leader, I certainly have regrets about the people interactions that I've had. Some, some, certainly not all. I feel very proud about some things as well. But there are certainly things in my past as a, as a business leader that I regret that were on a personal level. Those, mm-hmm. those are the, the images that last. And so when Brad mentioned this, I really connected to it instantly, feeling like we've got this huge opportunity in front of us to really do the right thing on a regular basis, to slow down, to be more focused, to be more gentle, to be more graceful, as as Brad says. And if if we miss that, if we flub that up, we're, we're, we're going to have a, a, this legacy of, of recollections and memories that are all fouled up by how badly we did. Well, and I think society will judge companies by how they respond to this. I and, hope, and they, that I hope will, it does. And they will be long lasting. And the one thing that I think is really interesting about this, and I don't know if this is true, but I would, I've seen it in other areas, is we can sense authenticity to a certain degree. And I think the way that an organization responds, you see some of these companies that are responding right away and seem to be doing a whole bunch of things right around how they're they're treating their employees and various different things. For instance, I'll just use there's you know a number of grocery stores locally here in Minneapolis, and 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 one of those grocery stores started pretty soon after this putting in glass plates between the checkout counter and the the patrons, and doing putting on markers in different things, and others joined on that bandwagon you know a few days later. But even though it was a few days later, you're going, hmm. What took so long? Yeah. What took you so long? Whereas (laughs) that other company was thinking about that in being proactive about it. So now I have a much better perspective of, of that one grocery chain versus the other grocery chains. Rightfully or wrongfully, it's this perception that I have. And I think others will have that as well. That goes across the board for how companies are treating their employees, the rumor mill that you hear about some of the things that are going on, good and bad. And I think that that's a great thing to, as if you're a leader to be thinking about is, yeah, there's some craziness going on in the short term. And sometimes you just need to get productivity down. But man, you need to be really concerned about the the perception that that has and how that plays out from the long run, because people will hold that against you. Yeah, agreed. So the last thing that I want to talk about is his research on isolation versus community, which was fantastic. And again, was done and started well before this whole piece. The piece that I want to explore is 
how much of that research is relevant given what's going on. In other words, you know, his application of saying, hey, if you feel supported by your coworkers, feel supported by your leaders and, and, and do work that is meaningful, that had a two-time productivity yeah. over feeling isolated. isolated. Yeah. And I think there's two competing factors that are coming to play right now. One is that we we are physically isolated from others and that we have this, we're not being able to get together as a team in person and have some of those bonding moments that we would typically have. Uh, and, and I think that isolation and the stress that comes with that is really, really big. Yes. But I also feel, and, and I know you've talked about your wife talking about this, is that some aspect of having video chats and doing some of the things that we're doing lends itself to a bit more intimacy with our coworkers, with our leaders. So some yeah, of that- Which aspect, is unexpected. Very unexpected. Mm -hmm. And then this, this idea of having, a, you know, tying a meaning into this, this work. And for those people who are still working, there seems to be particularly some of the people that may not have had that sense earlier, some of the essential workers as we talked about, but also if you're still having a job just by the nature of still having a job, there's probably some sense of being essential uh, to the company for that. And so it feels like it's pulling at it both ways, but it's an interesting aspect to think about. It is. And I, I just want to close with a couple of thoughts that Brad shared that really struck me. And this idea that what we might be seeing now as a loss of productivity might just be more about distraction. Mm. And that we are still trying to adjust to this entirely new experience that we're that we're all going through. And there's really no reason for anyone to have expectations that it should be business as usual because it is clearly not. So let's let's get away from that. Let's 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 leave our expectations about business as usual at the door and 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 keep moving. And yeah. and this idea that we might be able to redefine what work is to, because of this is a very grand and huge idea. I don't, I don't know. We've we've talked about cynicism in, in the past versus versus idealism or optimism, and uh, and you and I are both optimistic. Yeah, I would also suggest that we need to be realistic because not everyone shares these ideas. Not everyone feels compelled to put people first, even though the science is there, the uh, research is there, that there's lots of compelling evidence that companies who treat their employees well do better in the market. Still, there are lots of companies that treat their employees like crap. Well, and there are people who the, their whole mode of leading is looking at numbers and bottom lines. And I will tell you, we're doing some work right now with a company, with actually multitude of companies right now. Most of them are really gracious in this time and looking at this and how are you doing various different things. And mm -hmm. uh, as, as a vendor, which we are, we had one company who, you know, the, the leader said, I don't care about the vendors. I just need to get this done. And wow. The, the idea of that is mind-boggling to to think about, but that was that viewpoint of that leader, and so you have it's to. Yeah. It's still out there. It 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 doesn't change our human nature uh, just because we're operating in a in a world that where business isn't as usual anymore. I'll be interested to see if that shines any light on those types of leaders, though, and how that plays itself out as as we move forward you'd so. think if we're in the darkest days of it right now and this this business colleague of yours is not responding is there any reason to be hopeful that that person is going to change i don't know but maybe maybe somebody else maybe maybe that leader won't have as much power moving forward those types of, of leaders because other leaders will have realized that this is not the way that we can and we can be hopeful for that realistic I don't know if that's going to come to play. It may come to play in some instances. In others, it's going to be business as usual once this thing ends. It's tough to say. It it really is tough to say as we as we think about it. So 
Fingers crossed. Yes, and I, I, I don't want to leave on a downer note because I think Brad <laughs> left us on such a, a positive, uplifting, hopeful ideal, and I think that's there. And if we can all embrace that, I think there is this element of, wow, if we get enough people thinking like this, if we continually push this message of we can change, we can make a, a big difference in how work operates, we can be part of this solution as opposed to just letting, you know, whatever happens come and be playing upon, upon us yeah. and we can be, be good. So I want to leave with a hopeful note and I want to leave with, yes, we have an opportunity here to make a big difference and, and hopefully, you know, when this is done, we are going to have a different perspective on the meaning of work and why we do it and what's essential and what isn't and what's important. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you, and this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. Wash your hands.